chapter 10. We'll take the remaining time here to look at a passage of scripture here. In Romans chapter 10, Paul's within the, within the book of Romans here in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is really discussing about the the children of Israel and has God forsaken them as the, as he has turned to the church and we can see how he clearly describes that God has not forsaken them completely, but he has just temporarily set them aside as he deals with the church. And we really begin to see Paul's heart and his burden for his own people here in chapter 10 of Romans. And we begin with verse 1. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, for the man which doeth those things shall live by them. And in this first verse here, you can really see Paul's burden and his desire. His constant prayer to God before to God as he brings Israel, his own people, before God in prayer, begging for their salvation. Do we have a similar burden for our own people? That we are praying for them in this way. We can as we look through the book of Acts, we can see Paul's consistent pattern as whenever he comes to a new city, he immediately goes to the synagogue and presents the gospel the hope of Israel to his own people. And as they then either accept or reject God's word, then he would then turn to the Gentiles and declare the gospel to them. But his primary focus, his first focus in each city was to present the word of God to his own people. And he really had an understanding of the position in which his own people were as he says, he bears them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, he talks, he describes his own position within the length, within, before he was saved. And he says, he profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. And so the Jewish people, they had the traditions of the fathers that they followed very faithfully. And this was their zeal for God. And if you look back in Israel's history after the Babylonian captivity as they returned to the land and then during that 400 years of silence, um, you really have the Pharisees and Sadducees becoming, um, rising to prominence within that time period. And they really were, they came to prominence as they desired to keep Israel pure from the false religions around them. And in doing so, they actually ended up adding more traditions um, to the religion, to Judaism, than what God had actually give them, given to them. And they added more laws to be followed in trying to serve God. And it really turned their focus from a faith-based to a works-based religion, as they sought to please God based on what they were doing, rather than trying to please God through their faith in, in God, and obeying the laws that he had given to them. <clears throat> And he says that they are ignorant of God's righteousness. 
And because they were ignorant of God's righteousness, they set about and put together their own righteousness. And this is the, this is the state in which we find people all around the world, in our own communities, in our own nation. People who have, a, they have some understanding of who God is and how he is righteous and desires and demands righteousness from us. And because of the understanding of this, they have gone about and they have established their own righteousness. They have created a workspace religion that is dependent upon their actions to, um, to satisfy God's righteousness and his holiness. But the problem is, is that, as we see in verse 5, Moses says that those who follow the righteous riches of the law, they are going to live by that. And a, a life lived dependent upon the law, or keeping the law to please God, is a, a life of misery and abject failure as we fail to keep up, as we fail to measure up to the law of God. But as, as described here in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the answer. And that's why Christ came to die for our sins. Verse 6 says, But the law which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and thine heart, that, that is the word of faith which we preach. And here Paul is referencing a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 14, which says, For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. In it is not in heaven that thou shouldst say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thine heart, that thou mayest do it. And here Moses is talking to the children of Israel. He's given them the first five books of the Old Testament. And he's saying, he's telling them, I've given you God's word. And up until this point, there's not really any record that God's word had ever been written down before. And yet we see within Genesis that God would continually speak to different people in person. He spoke to Adam and Eve in the Garden, Garden of Eden. He also spoke to Cain. He spoke to Noah, Enoch. He spoke to Abraham. And it's interesting, these people lived so long during that time period that Noah could have could have spoken to someone who knew Adam and could have asked, you know, you knew Adam and Adam told you what God told you. What did God say? And he could have verbally heard what God had spoken to Adam. It's interesting that Noah's son Shem lived long enough after the flood that he actually died when Abraham was 50 years old. And so if Abraham had known of Shem and knew where he lived, he could have traveled to talk to Shem and say, what did God tell your father Noah? And he could have explained all these things to Abraham. But now as we've passed that point in time and as God is now working with, with in a new dispensation with Israel, <clears throat> he is taking the time to write God's word down. 
and Moses tells the people, children of Israel here, you no longer have to say who's going to go up into heaven and bring God's word down to us, or who's going to go across the sea to bring God's word to us. No, I've given you God's word. It's right here. It's in your heart and your mouth that you may do it. And moving back to Romans chapter 10 here, Paul is saying the same thing. Now that within the church age, you no longer have to say who's going to bring Christ down from heaven or who's going to go across or go descend into the deep that is to bring Christ again from the dead. Christ is risen. And as a believer, he's, he's living right now inside your heart. And we have God's word right here before us and we can read it and we can understand what he says and the Holy Spirit can declare God's word unto us and illumine it before us as we read it, as we seek his guidance. We no longer have to say where's God's word. And yet as I look, as I travel around the world, as I meet new people, I'm continually finding people that are saying this, who are asking this question. Who's going to go up into heaven to bring God's word down to us? Or who's going to go across the sea to bring God's word to us? There's people, so many people around our world today who do not have God's word. And it's a tragedy that they don't. And there's a huge focus within our, within missions to start churches and to see people saved. And that's excellent. That's exactly what God has commanded us to do. But if these people do not have God's word in their language, how are they going to become a strong, sound church built on strong doctrine who are not going to be swayed by the Charismatics or the Pentecostals or some other form of Christianity that is workspace in their religion? How are they going to become strong believers and really be able to study God's word for themselves and really understand what God has said to them if they do not have God's word. It, we, just go, we can just see an example of this within our own history as we go back to the 1500s as William Tyndale saw, realized that there was a huge need to have God's word in the English language. There was a, he was debating with a Catholic bishop at one point and the Catholic bishop was being defeated by, by Scripture as William Tyndale just simply fought all of his arguments with Scripture. And finally, in frustration, he, he said, it's better that we were without God's law than without the Pope's law. And William Tyndale responded and said, I defy the Pope and his law. One day, one day ere long since, I will make it that way. Even the, plow, the boy who drives the plow will know more Scripture than thou dost. And we see as William Tyndale spent his life translating God's word. He even, he was known to have said, I will endure any torture, any persecution, any suffering, and even death if I would just be allowed to translate God's word into the English language. He had to um, leave England for many years in order to work on this translation. And one day he was executed for his involvement in Bible translation. And his, his dying words were, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And 20 years later, King James came to the throne and authorized the translation of God's word in the English language. And we have God's word today because largely, largely due in part to 
Tyndale's prayer and Tyndale's work. And as once the Bible was translated in English language into the German language and so many other languages, the people began, the common person began reading God's word, and they were convicted as they saw that there was people all around the world who did not know the the message of salvation. William Carey came out of this, and so many others, the Moravian missionaries. As many people, this missionary movement really began to take off within our part of the world through the Bible being translated into God's Word. And you can just see the, and if you were look at, if you were look at a graph, you could see missions around the world and Bible translation begin to spike with it like this as God's Word was being translated into the local languages. And one of my burdens is to really not not just get the Bible translated into the local language, but to really to equip the national believers who speak these languages to really reach out into the neighboring tribes and neighboring countries around them and be able to become missionaries themselves as they study God's word, as they begin to get strong churches developed within their people groups and really be able to reach their part of the world with the gospel. And the gospel is a very simple thing. We see here in verse 9, Paul says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto the salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have a very clear and bold promise here in God's word that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And this is the promise that we can share with any and everybody around us. That if they will simply call upon God, they will receive salvation free of works. It's a payment that's been paid for us by Christ. But here in verse 11, he says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There's been times that I've asked somebody for something and received no. And there's, I really experience shame when somebody, someone tells me no. Because I was expecting to receive something from, I was expecting to receive my request from them. But when you come before God, he will not turn you away. You will not experience shame when you come to Christ for salvation. Or even as a believer, as you bring your request before him, you're not going to be ashamed. He will answer. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what you've done, where you're at, what level of maturity as a believer you're at. Christ says he is rich unto all that call upon him. And it doesn't matter what a person's done. Salvation is richly and fully offered to you by Christ. And even as a believer, you can come before God and he will richly answer you as you pray to him, as you call out to him with your needs. And that's just a tremendous promise that we have in God's word. And it's a promise that we can share with the lost and dying world around us. It's one of the greatest privileges that we have 
to not only exp have experienced this for ourselves, but also be able to share this with those around us. And think about here in later verses, he talks about, he asks a very poignant question, and how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? You know, people around us, they're not going to be able to believe in Christ unless they hear. And a very simple illustration of this is if you're dying of a deadly form of cancer or a very novel form, there may be a cure out there for it, for that particular form of cancer or whatever disease you might have. But that cure will not help you unless either a friend of yours or a doctor or someone who knows about this cure tells you about it enables you to act upon that knowledge. And unless we are willing to go out and share and preach the gospel to those around us, they're not going to be able to hear and they're not going to be able to call upon him for salvation. So may we be willing to share God's word with others. May we be willing to do this not only in sharing the gospel, but also in physically giving God's word to them, either in the verbal form or even a copy of God's word. And there's more and more people throughout our world today that do not have God's word, even our, within our own state, within our own country. It's amazing how many people just have grown up outside of church and don't have any idea who Christ is. And you can have the privilege of being one of the ones to share that good news with others. Pastor. Pastor.